0: Good morning, my name is Porter. I'm your assistant pastor for Church Planting. I'm honored to be here this morning. We are continuing in our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. And this week we're in our second week of a subset of the parables, those four parables in which Jesus uses the phrase, when the Son of Man comes. Because during this Advent season, we are reminded that Jesus came the first time as a Savior, as a Comforter, to absorb God's punishment and justice for the sins of all of those who would put their faith in Him and His atoning work, His death on the cross in their place. But we're reminded by this parable that the second time He comes, He will be bringing God's justice against all of the sins of all of those who did not accept his payment on the cross. Parables are short little stories that Jesus told to illustrate a point he was trying to teach. And this morning, Jesus is making a point about prayer. He says that we should, of course, be praying, but he's making a specific point about prayer, about what we should do, when God doesn't immediately answer our prayers. Are there prayers in your life that God has delayed in answering? There are in mine. I can tell you a list of people that I prayed for for many years to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ that the Lord took a long time to save, but that he eventually did. And I can also give you a list of people that I continue to pray for today, that the Lord continues to delay in answering that prayer. So for those of you who like outlines for the sermons, like I do, there's one in your bulletin this morning. We're going to look at four things. We're going to look at the widow and her petition, the judge and his delay in answering the petition, and then we will consider God and his delay in answering our petitions, also known as prayers. And then finally, we will consider the coming of the Son of Man and how we should pray in light of that reality. So, please open your Bibles or open your bulletin or pay attention to the slides for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Hear the Word of God. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. hear what the unrighteous judge says and will not god give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night will he delay long over them i tell you he will give them justice speedily nevertheless when the son of man comes Will he find faith on earth? Here is the reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. God, thank you that you are not a cold, unmoved judge for your children you have adopted through faith in your Son Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand what your Holy Spirit is saying in this passage use this time to increase our faith in you and how you are using our prayers to achieve your will in our lives and in the lives of those we are praying for. We pray in the saving name of your Son, the comforting name, the merciful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are two books that have powerfully shaped my heart towards what Scripture says about prayer. One is a recent book. That book is Tim Keller's 2014 book titled Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. The other book is one that I read during college, a little over 25 years ago. It was written by a rural southern pastor named Dr. Doug Kelly. It was titled, If God Already Knows, Why Pray? In that book, Dr. Kelly tells a story that has shaped my prayer life and stuck with me ever since. He tells the story of two elderly ladies living on the Isle of Skye, or Isle of Lewis, in Scotland, in the late 1940s and 50s. Dr. Kelly got his PhD in Edinburgh, Scotland, so he has a lot of stories that start with old ladies that live in Scotland. He tells about these two old ladies, one who was bent over with arthritis, and they were becoming burdened by the worldliness and the spiritual deadness of the young people on their island. So, from their stone cottage overlooking the stormy North Atlantic, they started to pray for a revival among the young people and among the residents their neighbors on the island. They began to pray three times a day, urgently asking God to pour out his Holy Spirit on their community to regenerate dead hearts and convert the unbelieving into becoming believers. After three to four years of these prayers, three times a day, there came a great revival that was documented by many authors on this island that started with a large group of young people meeting behind a pub in the town. The revival spread throughout the entire island and had effects that changed the culture of the island for decades. All because of the persevering prayer of two older ladies and their godly concern for the young people in their community. So for over 25 years, that story has shaped what I pray for and how persistent I pray as Kathy and I moved from community to community, from church to church as we moved around in the Marine Corps. And our passage this morning was spoken by Jesus, I think, for the same reasons. Verse 1 says why he spoke the parable. Verse 1 of chapter 18 says, And he told them a parable to the effect, what effect? That they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. That's the central point of this parable. Not the only point, but it is the central point, the central encouragement of this parable. That we ought to always pray and not lose heart when our prayers aren't instantly answered. Sure, there are some prayers in which the Lord will tell us no. That's not the topic of this sermon. That's the topic for another sermon. This passage right here is about praying for someone or something that God has not said no to, but has clearly not granted yet. God's word says to us keep praying. Just like the widow in this parable, let's look at the widow and her petition. The widow is the hero of this parable. Jesus surely chose a widow to contrast with the judge, as anchoring the two ends of the power spectrum in ancient Near East, cult- ancient Middle Eastern cultures. Widows in Scripture are the embodiment of vulnerability and powerlessness. The three persons in Scripture. That scripture continually returns to. To symbolize and embody powerlessness. Are the widow. The orphan or the fatherless. And the immigrant. Because those are the three people. Who have been most exploited. And oppressed. To some degree in every culture. In every century. And again and again in the Old Testament. God called upon the nation of Israel. To protect widows. In the book of. In the book of the covenant, the laws that God gave to them, in Exodus 22, God said to Israel, You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Next sentence. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. And if anyone in Israel failed to follow this, God expressly said in Deuteronomy that he will execute justice for the widow, The fatherless and the immigrant. And he will provide for their needs. So, Jesus picking the widow to be the hero of our parable this morning is consistent with the length and the breadth of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament to say that God is on the side of the powerless, especially powerless women. From the Old Testament, an account of Abraham. Telling King Abimelech that Sarah was not his wife. She was just his sister. Out of self-concern, self-preservation. And letting Sarah go live, Abraham, letting Sarah go live in King Abimelech's harem. How did God respond to that? God came to King Abimelech in in a dream and told him, you are a dead man if you touch Sarah. From the salvation of Rahab the prostitute in Jericho who came to be an ancestor of Jesus. And from the New Testament account of the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears while the powerful religious authorities stared them down in icy cold self-righteous judgment. Our God of the Bible shows again and again that he is on the side of the powerless especially the powerless women who've been exploited by others for their selfish purposes. And it's not only women. God is on the side of everyone who's been subjected to any injustice. From loyal David, who was pursued by treacherous Saul, to the missionary Paul, who was beaten and whipped by Roman authorities, by civic authorities, by religious authorities. For what? in town after town for just preaching the gospel of jesus christ our god is the power for the powerless who promises to right every wrong and bring justice for every injustice when the son of man returns to judge the earth we'll come back to that let's look at the widow's petition she the widow comes to the judge saying quote give me justice against my adversary the greek word ektekeo could also be translated her saying take vengeance for me she's implying that the judge has the authority and he has the power to do what she can't do she has no physical power to take vengeance on her own she has no authority to do so she has no power in society she has no lawyer to speak for her She has no money to bribe the judge. She only knows the law and the righteousness of her cause. But the judge, the judge has the authority to punish her adversary as the law law requires. The judges in Israel, they were supposed to bear the character of God in deciding cases. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, a king appointed new judges And he charged these judges saying, consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord, our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. So how does our judge respond to the widow here? Does he fear God and grant her petition for justice? No. Well, not immediately. Verse 4 says he refused. Theologian Craig Blomberg points out that the very place in which the widow should have found justice, that place only compounded her injustice. But she won't take no for an answer. She knows the law. And she knows it's on her side and she goes back again and again we don't know if she kept appearing in court we don't know if she made her case to the judge on the courthouse steps as he was trying to talk to other powerful people perhaps on the road as he came and went from court to home maybe she cried out to him at her house at his house or at the synagogue we don't know but we do know that the widow was so persistent in her demand for justice, that the judge, in verse 5, relented just so that she would stop bothering him. And in the next verse, in verse 6, Jesus turns on this judge to show how opposite he is from our God, our Father, who asks us to bring our prayers to him and listens to each and every one of our prayers. In verse 7, Jesus says this, And will not God give justice to his elect? That is, his elect being to Christians, those who've put their faith in him, who cry out to him day and night, Will he delay long over them? I tell you, Jesus says. I, will, I tell you. He will give justice. Another way to translate, retaliate for harm done. He will give justice to them speedily. Does that comfort you at all? That there is a God who is watching over us, who sees The injustices in our lives and in our world. And he knows the truth. And he wants us to bring our cries for justice to him so that he can take up our case for us. That comforts me that the God of the Bible isn't some divine clockmaker who built this clock of a world and then stepped away to just let it run and watch it from a distance. He isn't a God who's uninterested and bothered when I come to him with my prayers for small things. And when it comes to the big things, when I'm in a bind, or I know one of my children is in a bind, he loves for me to cry out to him and say, I need you. I can't fix this. I'm screwing it up. But we have to admit that while our prayers, our answers to our prayers, they do sometimes come immediately. Sometimes our prayers are answered instantly. But sometimes he delays. And that is the point of our parable this morning. What do we do with his delay? how do you deal with that? Are we going to pack up our prayers and go home? Are we going to drop them on the floor and just move on to the next issue? Or are we going to be like the hero of our parable and persist with our petition? All this raises the ultimate question of why does the Lord delay in answering our prayers? And I see four reasons from scripture. They're in your At least four reasons. I'm sure there are more, but there are four reasons in your outline. And the first is, he does not delay because he's like the judge. God the Father is not a cold, unmoved deity who is bothered by you and me. Maybe you don't need to hear that message this morning, but that word is definitely for me because I've often gone to God out of duty in my prayers. And imagine that God is, yeah, he's listening, but he's off looking at something else. And he's just just kind of listening and like, okay, maybe I'll answer, maybe I'm not. I need to be reminded of this message. That my God, our God of the Bible is the God of Zephaniah 3.17, who said, he will rejoice, he will exult over you and me with joy. In my distress, he will quiet me with his love. And he will rejoice over us with shouts of joy. Does the God you pray to when you imagine him, is he shouting over you with joy? Is he exulting and praising over you? Because that's how he's revealed himself in his own word, through his own Holy Spirit. I need to be reminded of that. Jesus tells us straight up in this parable, his father is not like the judge. The judge is unrighteous. The judge doesn't care about anyone but himself. While God the Father, he is righteous. He is the standard for righteousness. He is perfectly righteous, and he cares about his children. Our God loves us sacrificially. In fact, he sacrificed his son to save a people from his punishment. Because if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Son of God and turned from following the world and following your own heart to following him, you will find mercy. You will find comfort. You will find an atonement, a sacrifice, a substitute for your punishment in Jesus. Romans 8.15 says that you've received the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, and we can can cry out to God saying, Abba, Father. It says we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He who purchased our adoption through his suffering on the cross, for taking God's justice for us. Earlier in the service, we heard the words of Jesus from Luke 11. There he said, What father among you, if if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Give you His Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him. So God doesn't delay because He's like the unjust judge. But sometimes He does delay because He's changing us. Sometimes God delays in order to draw us closer to Him in our love and in our affections. As we decrease our love for ourselves and our affection for ourselves and our reliance upon our own power to solve our problems. Dr. Doug Kelly, in his book, says this. He says, quote, we have to discover that we simply cannot handle everything by ourselves, that all our cleverness, all of our talents, All of our family or business connections and all our education are totally insufficient. Sometimes only that sort of situation can make us become desperate and determined enough to throw ourselves on his mercy and to keep crying out. And it seems that our God is touched by that kind of desperation. Why? Because then he gets the glory. He's done it. It's his power that has prevailed. And this, this is a great message for those of us that live in the Washington, D.C. area, because some of us in this area, some of us in this room have a lot of education. We have a lot of degrees. We know a lot of solutions to a lot of problems. And some of us are important supervisors in the federal government and or serve in the military. And we spend a lot of time at work fixing problems. In this story, we must see that we are all the widow. We will always encounter problems that we are powerless to fix. And God invites us in those situations, in every situation, to cry out to him for his help because he wants to. So sometimes he's changing us. Other times he's changing other people. Sometimes, Dr. Kelly says in, he tells another story of another old lady in Scotland who wrote to him about her 80-year-old friend who had just become a Christian. She had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. This 80-year-old new Christian had been Dr. Kelly's friend, Dr. Kelly's friend had been her bridesmaid in her wedding 53 years earlier. And Dr. Kelly's friend had been praying for this woman, her bridesmaid, her friend, for all of those years to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Y'all, that is perseverance. And that is encouragement to you and to me who have been crying out to the Lord to save certain friends and loved ones. Maybe parents, maybe children, to save them so that we may spend eternity with them. Why does God delay? Oftentimes that person isn't ready. But we can trust that God is using our prayers to direct the circumstances in their lives so that they may be ready and prepare them for his faith. Kathy and I shared the gospel with her father in the late 1990s. But he was a very successful man he had worked his way up through the federal government through the military and then through the federal government he was a GS 15 supervisor at GSA and he just wasn't ready for it he wasn't ready for it as he went into retirement from the federal government he was very well taken care of he he was fine he didn't need a God to depend on so we prayed for him we prayed for him for almost 20 years And it wasn't until he had a stroke, it wasn't until he fell and broke his hip, that he finally needed a God. And he finally had a concern for where he would spend eternity. God answered our prayers for him. Mr. Armstrong could have died instantly at any moment and never had a chance to consider his spiritual condition with the Lord. But God granted him grace. He answered our prayers by giving him time, albeit a brief time and a time of suffering. But use that time to not only save Mr. Armstrong, save Kathy's dad, but to give Kathy and our family an almost entirely new relationship with him that we had not experienced before. And that was a gift. So sometimes... Our Lord delays because he's waiting for the the harvest to be ripe. Returning to the text of verses 7 and 8, we do see a tension here between two concepts. We see a tension between the elect who are crying out to God day and night, presumably persisting over a period of time, and then on the other hand, Jesus saying, he will give justice to them speedily. What does it mean there? What is Jesus trying to tell us about the delay and the answer that comes speedily? The great 19th century theologian, Andrew Murray, in his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, which I found it this morning, was the first book that a young Bruce Wiley, first theological book that he read when he was a young man. Somebody told him to read it, and he read it. And he learned for the first time in his life that you can read a book on a book about scripture, and that you can receive a blessing for it, from it, through the Lord, through the scripture it talks about, and and it set him on a path of reading. So in this book by Andrew Murray, Murray compares God's delay to the farmer who's planting a crop and spending time laboring in that crop, waiting for the harvest that will be speedily brought in. Murray writes this, he says, just as the plowman has to take, he goes, I know, it, it knows how, just as the plowman has to take his 10,000 steps, okay, this is before mechanized farming, this is the plowman going down the road, putting the seed in, and sow his 10,000 seeds, each one a part of the preparation for the final harvest. So there is a need be for oft-repeated persevering in prayer. In other words, those seeds being prayers that are being planted and planted, all working out some desired blessing. It knows for certain, the farmer, the plowman, that not a single believing prayer can fail of its effect in heaven, but has its influence and is treasured up to work out an answer in due time to him who perseveres to the end. He also writes, behold the farmer. I took out the 19th century word husbandman. Who waits for the precious fruit of the earth? I think I'm thinking now more of the, the, the Father God looking over the harvest, being long suffering over it till it re- till it received the early and latter rain. The farmer does indeed long for his harvest to come in, but knows that it must have its full time, of sunshine, and rain, and he has long patience. A child so often wants to pick the half ripe. Fruit. The farmer knows to wait until the proper time. Man in his spiritual nature, too, is under a law of gradual growth that reigns in all created life. It is only in the path of development that he can reach his divine destiny. And it is the Father, in whose hands are the times and the seasons, who alone knows the moment. When the soul or the church is ripened to that fullness of faith in which it can really take and keep the blessing, he is the long-suffering one and he answers speedily. The bottom line on why God delays over prayer that I see is that he has a plan. He is working out that plan and he will always use our prayers the prayers of his followers to accomplish his will in this world because our hearts and our wills are shaped by his word and they are shaped by his holy spirit to be like his we start to think his thoughts about this world and we start to pray his plan thy will be done thy kingdom come not because it's our plan but because it's his plan. This parable of the widow reminds me of another story, a true story about a widow from Luke chapter 2. Earlier in the service, we read about the prophetess Anna, who was widowed seven years after marriage. And so for the next probably 60 years, she dedicated her life to the Lord, living in the temple, praying, fasting day and night, for the birth of the Messiah, the one the prophet Isaiah we read in the call to worship would be the comforter of his people. So when she saw Simeon, the prophet Simeon, take the young boy Jesus up in his arms and declare him to be the consolation of Israel, she started to prophesy to everyone that was there in the temple that the young Jesus was God's anointed one who would bring redemption to his people. The first time Jesus came into the world, he came offering salvation. And the offer still stands. Salvation from our sins, salvation from our injustices that we have committed against God and our neighbors. He went to the cross to absorb God's justice, his Father's justice so that all of us who put our faith in him can be made right, can be made right with God his Father. But the second time Jesus comes, he will come as the Son of Man. The time of conversion and consolation and comfort will be over. He will come bringing God's justice against all of the injustices except those that he'd already paid for. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul starts his letter to a persecuted church in Thessalonica. And he's promising them that they will see justice for their persecutions, the persecutions that are coming against them, that are being inflicted upon them. Paul, God's word says this, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering Imagine being in that church, that church that has been persecuted, being afflicted. Imagine hearing that word. Imagine how comforting it was for them to know that there is a God who is seeing their suffering, that they are not suffering in secret. He knows the truth. He sees injustice. He sees oppression. And though his justice is delayed it will not be denied. Perpetrators of injustice may forget, but just as victims do not forget, our God does not forget. That word should be a comfort to those of us who have been victims of injustice, that our God is more powerful than the unjust, and he will bring about, he will make things right. So, knowing that the Son of Man is coming back, how should we be praying? Well, if you're not a Christian, then consider praying to him today, confessing your sins, confessing your injustices, and asking the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Because now is the time between his advent and his return Pray to him. He will not be a cold, unmoved judge to you. He will rejoice over you. He will exult over you. He will comfort you with his love. If you are a Christian, how should we be praying in light of the Son's return? There are many topics in scripture that recommend what we pray for. There are many things that we should, ought to, and do pray for. But this passage this morning, the Holy Spirit does appear to be emphasizing one prayer topic to us to focus on this morning, and that is prayers for justice. Like God's concern for the church in Thessalonica, we can pray for justice for the persecuted church around the world. When we hear about 200 Christian girls in Chaibok, Nigeria, kidnapped by an Islamist terror group, Boko Haram, and taken into slavery, we can cry out for justice against their kidnappers. When we see crosses being torn off of churches in China, when we see pastors like Andrew Brunson in Turkey, others in India, among many other nations, being jailed, We can cry out for justice for God's servants. Y'all, justice is a topic right now in our culture that many people are bent on seeking. This is a topic that our nation is, is seized with. And God's word talks about it. And I think it's something that all parties, all groups can agree upon. Whether you're a news anchor or a news watcher, whether you're a Hollywood director a Hollywood actor or just a Netflix customer whether you're a Republican or a Democrat whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian I think there is something that we can all agree upon that there is sexual brokenness in our country there are people that have taken sex which is a beautiful wonderful thing that God gave us to be to be enjoyed in the safety of marriage There are people who have taken it and used it to hurt people and used it as a power over people. Now, y'all hear this disclaimer. I'm not taking sides in any specific allegation, in any specific case. I'm not trying to tell anybody who to vote for in any election. I don't think any of us have an election we're voting on right now. I'm trying to say that our culture is seized with what do you do about justice? And God's word talks about justice because justice is in our God's character. I'm backing up and looking at this, that people are grappling with issues of justice and some may be right to seek justice because when we seek justice rightly, we bear the image of God who is a God of justice. But we do know this, that in this life, every victim... injustice will not see justice for their cause. Some will find justice but not every victim will and that's why it is a comfort from God's word, from his mouth himself to know that our prayers are heard, our cries for justice are heard and they will be answered by the Son of Man when he returns so how should that compel us that should compel us not only to pray for justice but also to pray for grace and for mercy at the same time we pray for justice we pray for mercy because that's also the character of God that we would do justice and love mercy in Micah 6 8 so we pray for grace and mercy for victims we pray for grace and mercy for all offenders that they would repent and that they would find forgiveness. Because we are all an offender of God, of God's laws of some sort. We've all committed injustices in this world, and we all need God to show us mercy and grace. And we all need him to change our hearts. Hearts that are bent on self-serving into hearts, change them into hearts that are loving and self-sacrificing, for others. Romans 3.10 reminds us that none is righteous, no, not one. And in the, in the list of great sins worthy of God's wrath in Romans 1, right alongside mur- murder, is gossiping, slanderers, even those who are disobedient to their parents. And that is why Jesus came the first time. That is why we celebrate Advent, because he came to save us from justice, to absorb our justice that we deserved so that we could absorb the Father's mercy. So that's why, that's why we pray for revival, revival of the Christian faith in our world, in our country, in our community, in our church, in our youth, in our families, in our own hearts. Because when we receive a greater portion of the Holy Spirit, He takes our hearts of flesh, he takes our injustices that we would perpetrate to serve those hearts, and he transforms us into hearts that will love others sacrificially. Jonathan Edwards, in his book, Grandly Titled, I love the titles of Jonathan Edwards' books, the title is, A Humble Attempt to Promote the Agreement and Union of God's People Throughout the World in in Extraordinary Prayer for a Revival of Religion and the advancement of God's kingdom on earth according to the spiritual promises and prophecies of the last time. Y'all, titles of Jonathan Edwards' books, they are sermons in themselves. I've been blessed just by reading that right now. What he argues in that book is the great revivals in Israel and the great revivals that he was seeing were all brought about by persistent prayer, community prayer, persistent prayer being sent up by people saying, seeking God, seeking the face of God, seeking to have God, to have his Holy Spirit in their lives. So let us cry out in our prayers to God that he would show us mercy, that he would send us revival. Let us pray for the salvation of those God has placed in his life that have not come to a saving faith in him yet but he's probably placed them there so that we would pray for them and that we would share his good news with them of what Jesus has done for them. And let us be persistent. Let us persist in our prayers, not knowing how long God is going to take to answer them, but trusting, trusting our Lord. At Advent, we celebrate that Jesus came to atone for our sins so that we could become his adopted children who can pray to him. Let us be, let us now in the time where we can seek his comfort and consolation, let us persist in our prayers for that. Let us be like the widow, Anna, the prophetess Anna, praying for Jesus to come. And let us be like the persistent widow in our parable this morning. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the good Father. You are the Father who loves your children. That you are the Father who wants to hear from us. Lord, we come to you asking for your Holy Spirit to bring revival. Bring it here. Bring it now. Bring it in our community. Bring it in our nation. Bring it to this world. Come, Lord Jesus. Send us your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.